You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. How about them balls? Um, and uh, valuable lessons that I've learned just watching the last several years. Do not play App State and do not pay to play App State, right? Golly. And then um, Notre Dame got hurt. So uh, it was a good night, all right? <laughs> um, I'm so glad to see you guys today and periodically uh, start with something like that just because, gosh, it's happening all around us. So it's good to celebrate and sometimes good to be, uh, go through some tough times. And uh, really, it's the theme behind where we're headed with this book on a study of Philippians. Uh, the, the series title is called No Matter What. Uh, the concept is there's always a choice to rejoice. Uh, last week, we, we laid the groundwork for this, and today I, I want to kind of build off of it in light of the context of where we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, the first 11 verses. I want to begin with a question. And the question is this, when was the last time that you watched a child grow up? Maybe it was your kid, maybe it was a grandkid, a niece, a nephew, just someone else's child, and you saw them grow. Uh, it doesn't matter if... Um, you know, you saw them for the first time lift their head up. Uh, if you saw them finally start to move and perhaps crawl. Uh, maybe you think for uh, the times they vocalized that they were hungry or had a dirty diaper because of, of crying, right? Maybe when they finally started to use some words, they, they walked. When was the last time you saw a kid grow? B- but think further, like not just the things that you could see. Um, things that you prayed for, things that you hoped for, like when you're a child, no matter the age, let's say the first time they really didn't just say I love you, but they expressed it. And they didn't express it as a response to you saying it first, like, like they expressed it on their own. Or when was the first time you, you saw in your child just an element of discernment where it's no longer just certain shapes and colors, like, like there's more to life, they had discernment, and then, and then started to share because none of us in this room really grew up with a propensity to share. Now, I ask all these questions because sometimes it's easy for us to think about a child growing up. But instead of thinking about a child's growth, I want us to think about, like, our growth. Like, like today, if you could just look in a mirror as a follower of Jesus, no matter how far along you are in this process, whether it's new or you've been following Jesus for years, if you could look in a mirror, what does it look like for me to grow? Like, what are the markers for a follower of Jesus? Not just me. But even the others in this room, like, that are down the road, like, a- across the room, like, like, if they're a follower of Jesus, what does it look like for us to grow? Because when kids grow, we see movement. What type of movement should we expect in us? Like, as I follow Jesus, how should it affect my steps? And as I put my faith in Jesus, how does it impact the things that I say in my speech? Well, Today's passage really addresses all of this. Um, as we started, the study is on the book of Philippians, but, but last week we looked at the city of Philippi because that's kind of where all this got started. It was during the Apostle Paul's second missionary trip around the year 50 AD. In 50 AD, the Apostle Paul is taking the good news of Jesus from Jerusalem to all these strategic cities. And you're going to hear about the message that, he is, that he's traveling with. The message is called the gospel which literally means the good news. Paul is taking the good news, and here's the good news in its simplest form, that Jesus died for our sins, and he was buried. 
Jesus rose from the dead and then he was seen by eyewitnesses. And because of this, we should believe and we should follow. Um, Paul is taking this message that a generous God invaded a broken planet with his son Jesus. Well, as Paul stumbles into the city of Philippi, we saw last week, that he goes outside the city gates and he kind of finds a river and there's people that are gathered and he begins to communicate this good news. And immediately a woman named Lydia, a servant girl, and a Roman, a Roman centurion in a matter of a few days come to know Jesus. And these three become the first core group of the church in Philippi. But something happens. This letter, the letter of Philippians, it's been 10 years since Paul was first there. In a matter of 10 years, I want you to think about what they've gone through because some of the things might, might resonate with you. They're struggling financially. They're struggling when it comes to persecution. Uh, They're struggling in some relationships, and they're struggling because the Apostle Paul, they don't know if they're going to get to see the guy that that started the church again because he's in Rome in prison. Uh, On behalf of finances, the economy's kind of taking a hit in Philippi. On behalf of relationships, uh, on behalf of persecution, um, remember, they're in a Roman military colony. And for these three people and the others that slowly started to trust Jesus, their allegiance between kingdoms changed. They're now following the kingdom of Jesus, and yet they live in a Roman colony. And so people that found out they've switched allegiances started to persecute them. You also find out there's relational struggles, like there's tension. It doesn't matter if there's something at home, something at work. It's starting to show itself, and it's starting to take its toll on the people inside the church. And then, of course, Paul, they don't know if they'll ever see him again. So in a real sense, Philippi is struggling. The things that we talked about last week, they've lost their focus They've lost their joy. In a real sense, you can't help but wonder if they're starting to lose their faith. Um, Paul begins this letter, and it's beautiful. He says, greetings to you from me and Timothy. And then he breaks into a series of things that, that he wants to put on their radar. And then he eventually gets to a prayer. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. The reason, the reason today for me is such a big deal is because this is one of the biggest prayers that I pray for you, like this church. Uh, most of the times, if, if, if I write a letter to someone or if I, I sign something, oftentimes I, I add Philippians 1, chapter 3 through 6 at the end of the letter. And, and now even lately, more so than ever, I, I pray verse 9, 10, and 11. Look at how it starts. Here's what he begins. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you guys. He's talking to the city of Philippi. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And then what's going to happen is he's going to go through verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and then he'll finally get to the prayer in verse number 9. He'll say, and this is my prayer. Well, what happens is he's going to line item everything on behalf of Philippi that he expects, he anticipates, and he hopes and prays that they will show as markers of growth. So in the same way that a kid crows, when you and I look in the mirror, these are some things that the Apostle Paul prays that we would grow especially when we're going through relational struggles, financial struggles. We feel like the odds are stacked against us or something difficult has happened to someone that we love. Like we talked about last week, some in this room are undergoing a season of extreme pain and deep disappointment. These are the things that Paul prays for when there's a choice to rejoice. So in a real sense, as Paul's praying this for Philippi, I want you to understand that that we're praying this for you. And my prayer is that as we work through these verses today, it would be a catalyst for anyone in this room that's lost joy. 
Anyone in this room that's, that's struggling with focus, because when there's pain, we focus something on something. It's either the thing that's been taken from us or what can't be taken. And here's how Paul addresses it. He gives them three reminders, and then we'll look at the prayer. The three reminders. The first is this, their start was strong. In other words, he says, before I start telling you about my prayer, I want to tell you guys how thankful I am for the way you started. As soon as I came into Philippi, look at what he says. I thank God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now keep in mind, right here when Paul is writing this letter, he's in Rome. It's 800 miles away. He's in a prison awaiting trial, probably going to be put to death. And yet once again, he's saying, I thank God upon every remembrance with all joy. Understand that Paul is showing us that you can be in a space that you don't like and you can still live with gratitude and joy. Some of you in this room right now are like in a space or a season that you just can't stand. Understand as a follower of Christ, there is still a choice to rejoice. His reason, according to this passage, for his gratitude and joy, it's because of these people and their partnership with the gospel, like the good news. The fact that we are stewards of this message that Jesus died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Paul is so excited about the way they started, meaning from day one, meaning when it came to Lydia, when it came to the girl that's life was changed, when it came to the Roman soldier, immediately they're asking the question that we all should ask, and that is when God opens our heart, how can we help out? How can we get involved? If you remember, as soon as Lydia trusted Christ, I said this last week, wet hair, she did not care. Literally, she had been baptized, and she says, look, I want you guys to come to my house. I will take care of all the expenses. I'll meet every need. But the problem was, in a matter of time, after Paul came into the city of Philippi, because he was on a journey across the world, in the matter of time that he got there, soon he was leaving. Now, you'll look at this picture of his missionary journey. I want you to look closely at where he goes after Philippi. Imagine how it feels for the people in the area of Philippi. It doesn't matter if it's Lydia, uh, the jailer, the servant girl, or the rest of the church. Imagine how they felt upon Paul's departure. He heads to a city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica is 90 miles away, meaning uh, it's like, let's say, roundabout here to Chattanooga. Many in this room would say, well, that's not that big a deal. It's not a big deal when you've got a car, right? No car. And look at what Paul says later at the end of the letter on behalf of their commitment. Verse 16 of chapter 4, he said, Even when I was in Thessalonica, you guys sent aid more than once when I was in need. Meaning, guys, I love the way you started. And it didn't just happen from day one. It continued in those momentous years. Meaning, two times you guys sent someone 90 miles to continue to pay for lodging and groceries, to continue to move the message of Jesus Christ forward. And then in two verses later, right now, when he's writing this letter, He's at a prison in Rome. Rome is 800 miles from Philippi. Look at the next verse, verse 18. He says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you guys sent. They tracked him down 800 miles. So when he writes this letter, he's like, look, I am so excited the way that you guys started so strong. Understand that that this is a reminder and it's a challenge for us. Like, like, Like the start, when you and I begin to make steps, when God opens our heart to experience his grace, we cannot wait to get involved. Meaning, let's just look at it from a practical perspective. If God does something in your heart on a Friday night with friends, don't wait five months to take a step forward. 
Like if God does something in here on a Sunday morning and you see the beautiful baptism or you're inspired to do something, to open your heart, to schedule your own baptism, to join this church, to partner with us in some type of service, to get into a group, do not wait six months to step in. In the same way that Lydia, in the same way that the Roman soldier, all of Philippi, Paul's bragging on them because over and over they kept asking, how can we help out? How can we get involved? Paul said, you guys started so strong. To which I would ask any of you in this room, God's opened your heart. What are you waiting for? Like, like the start of a commitment to God is so important. And so Paul is reminding these people that have lost focus, that have lost joy, your start was strong. But number two, he says, your future is bright. This is probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Paul is so confident about this future. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. So as this church, the people in this church that are down and discouraged, lost focus, lost joy, as they read this, they're reminded, and the future is bright. Paul speaks about it because he's convinced about the who of the future, the what of the future, and the when. The who is God. He says, be confident of this thing, that he, meaning God, who began a good work in you. So that's the who. The what is the work that God has done and he's doing inside of them. And then he says, God will complete it. He'll carry it on to completion. Meaning the when is eventually when we see Jesus face to face. Paul is reminding them that in a world where all this disappointment is going on and things are so tough, Understand that the future is still bright. And so often, like, like I think all of us in this room get discouraged about someone else that's some, done something to us. But, but let's think for a moment about how discouraged it can get when we disappoint ourselves. Like, like, do you ever discourage you? Do you ever disappoint you? Do you ever let you down? I don't want to talk about anybody else for a second. I just want to talk about you. I want to dwell on me. Do you ever say, man, I can't believe I said that? Do you ever think through life, like, I can't believe I responded that way? I can't believe I did that. And then you make a statement, I make a statement about myself. What was I thinking? Do you ever disappoint yourself? How about this? Have you ever, have you ever been nudged by God to do something on behalf of someone else? And you're months later and you realize, man, I never did it. Do you ever disappoint yourself? Do you ever find yourself in a moment of quiet, perhaps it's at church or at night, in bed, or even just driving your car, do you ever find yourself dwelling on some past mistake that you can't shake? Do you ever disappoint yourself? I have good news for you. Paul says the future is bright. One day, the work that God is doing in you and in me, it will be made complete. No more disappointment. No more disapproval. No more letting yourself down. Here's why. According to this verse, God always finishes what he starts. One of Jesus' closest friends, his name, was, his name was John. John made this statement on behalf of God doing a work in us. He said, dear friends, now we're children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made. It's not been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him. And we will see him as he is. So eventually when we see Jesus face to face, the work that he's doing inside of us will be complete. In a real sense, Paul, according to this verse, is reminding them, it's not just your grasp of God that makes the difference. 
More than anything else, it's God, God's grasp of you. So I can't be confident in me. I can't be confident in Tim Miller's character. I cannot be com- confident in my job. I cannot be confident in my marital status. I should be confident predominantly in God's grasp on me. And so as Paul's writing this letter, before he even gets to the prayer, he's doing this long on-ramp. He says, look, the way you guys started was so strong. Number two, he says this, the future for you guys, because of what God is doing in you, trust me, it looks tough on the outside, but because what God is doing in you, I promise the future is bright. And then Paul reminds them of this beautiful picture. He says, and my affection for you is so deep. In other words, Paul says, I love you guys so much. Verse 7, as he's in prison, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I've got you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the message of Jesus, all of you share in God's grace with me. And then he says this, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's telling the church that's lost its focus, it's discouraged, to tell them, I love you guys so much. Have you ever had someone say that to you when you're going through a really tough time? They just remind you that they love you? Meaning, like, you're struggling with your faith, you're struggling in a relationship, things are falling apart, and someone just speaks in and says, hey, I want you to know that, that we genuinely care for you. Paul is reminding them that he cares for them. I'm going to ask a question of everyone in this room. Has there ever been a time that you stopped caring? Like, you're tired of it? You're in need of a break from caring? You got care fatigue. You're kind of tired of going through the motions. Maybe it, it happened at work. Like, all of a sudden, something was said at a meeting, and you're like, man, I just don't care anymore. Uh, maybe it was something that was said in an argument with a close friend or someone that used to be a close friend, and you just don't care anymore. Maybe it's something that a spouse did or a former spouse did, and it's just taken off the care. Maybe you're still in a marriage and you don't care anymore. You're like... I don't care anymore. You, you have me, my, my body. You just don't have my heart. Has there ever been a time that you stopped caring? And I want to ask a question. What would it look like if God reignited your desire to care? To which some of you in this room would say, Tim, there's no way. You have no idea what's been going on to me. Tim, if you only knew our family's story, if you knew the background behind the church that we were at, the family that we were part of, the work that I had, the marriage that I had. Tim, if you only knew, there's no way that I could ever care again. And here's what I want you to know. This is why the Apostle Paul is praying for the following things that finally show up in his prayer. Basically, he's writing to a bunch of people that have a difficult story, that life is falling apart, they've lost focus, they've lost joy, and some are struggling with their faith. And he finally gets to the prayer. And in this prayer, he's praying for things that he hopes, that he expects, that he anticipates by God's grace will be evident in their growth in the same way that a kid grows. And these are the things that he prays for them. And I want you all to know, these are the things that I'm praying for you. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. You know what he's praying for? Uh, these are Tim's words. 
a high IQ kind of love. He says it, I'm praying that your love would about more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, meaning that it's an intelligent kind of love. It's a high IQ kind of love. Here's why, because loving people can be so stinking complicated. Think about your current relational scenario right now. Each of them, each situation is complicated in its own unique way. And we don't always know what they need. We don't always know when they need it. We don't always know when when helping is actually hurting. We don't know when to say something. We don't always know when to stay quiet. And we don't even know how to forgive. I'm telling you, loving people is so complicated. And Paul says, I'm praying for a a high IQ kind of love for you, Philippi. In the same way that that I'm praying for a high IQ kind of love for us. Because relationships, like, like they're so complicated. And then Paul prays for this. Discernment. Listen to verse 10. So that you would be able to discern what's best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, Paul's praying, don't spend the rest of your life becoming good at something that doesn't matter. He's praying for discernment. Because often we spend so much time asking if something is wrong. The better question is, right now, in light of what's going on, what is best? Paul says, I want... I'm begging God that he would give you a high IQ kind of love, and then because of that, you would have discernment. Not just right or wrong, but you would know what's best. Meaning, the best use of your time. The best use of your resources. The best use of your your energy. In a real sense, it's like Paul is praying that, that, that we would be focused on godly habits and not... Not embrace habits that are taking us away from what's best. Like, away from what's best looks like shopping when you're bored or lonely. Away from what's best is like putting things off that you know should be done. Away from what's best means living with a passionate drive through life to make all the money I can. If that's where you go, I promise you, you'll end up bored. Because there is no purpose in that. Paul is praying that they would have discernment, meaning it's not just about what's right and wrong, but you would know what's best. So he's praying for a high IQ kind of love. That's one growth. Number two is discernment, knowing what's best. And then number three, he prays for good fruit. He says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Meaning that we would would produce good fruit. Because the truth is we're all growing something. But are you growing good fruit? And truth be told, like right now, if you're bumped, that type of fruit's going to spill out. And that fruit is affiliated with the current condition of your heart. And you think, where is your heart right now? Where do you lean? Like toward materialism or toward generosity? Arrogance or humility? Selfishness or service of others? Pity? Or praise, hate, or healing, bitterness, or forgiveness. These are the three things that Paul is praying for the people that are struggling at that church. 
They've lost joy. They've lost their focus. They're focused on what's been taken instead of what can't be taken. He said, I'm praying that you get a high IQ kind of love. I'm praying that you understand what's best, and I'm praying for your fruit. I want to spend some time pressing in on this issue. You ready? Jesus always got this right. Like, relationships are so complicated. Loving people can be so tough. Let me give you an example. In John 11, Jesus is some, some of his closest friends, are brothers and sisters. There's a guy named Lazarus, his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Um, Lazarus gets really sick. They call for Jesus. Jesus takes his time getting there, and Lazarus dies. When Jesus shows up on the scene, Mary and Martha both encounter Jesus with their own problems. They've lost joy. They've lost their focus. They're struggling with their faith, just like us. Both of them come to Jesus, and they say the exact same thing. It's complicated. They come to him, and they make the statement, Jesus, if you'd only been on time, my brother would still be here. Let's play through the scenario on how Jesus grew with a high IQ kind of love, how he grew with discernment, and how he grew with good fruit. Two Unique situations, Mary and Martha. Same statement, but different people. Martha walks up first. She says, Jesus, if only you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus looked at Martha and he spoke truth. He said, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. He will live forever. Martha, do you believe this? She said, I do. Jesus walked past Martha. You know what he did to Martha? Given her scenario, her background, loving people is complicated. He just spoke truth into Martha. But here comes Mary. Mary says the exact same thing that Martha says. She said, Jesus, if only you had been here on time, my brother would still be alive. And to which I would think, well, Jesus is just going to copy and paste the statement, give it to Mary. No, Jesus doesn't speak truth to Mary. Her story's different. Jesus sheds tears with Mary. That's it doesn't say a word. It's the shortest verse in all the Bible. John 11, verse 35, Jesus cried. So the fact that Jesus, Luke 2.52, continued to grow in stature, in favor with God, in favor with man, meaning he had a high IQ kind of love. He had discernment, right? He showed good fruit. That means Jesus knew when to show up, when to shut up, when to speak truth, and when to shed tears. That's why Paul is praying this for us, as we follow Jesus, Jesus never got it wrong. And you and I will not always get it right. So no wonder, as he's writing to this church and he gets to the on-ramp, he's like, man, I'm so proud of the way you guys started. Like when God opened your heart, you opened your home, you were in. And I know it's tough and you're losing your focus, but, but he reminds them the future is bright. For a follower of Jesus, be confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you, even in tough times, will carry it on to completion. And then he tells them, look, as you move forward in your faith, you lose focus, you lose joy. He said, I'm praying for you. I love you. And I'm praying that you'll have a high IQ kind of love. Loving people so tough. Because I'm praying that you'll have discernment. Like you'll know what's best. It's not just right and wrong, what's best. And then I'm praying for good fruit. It's tied to a, a pure heart. 
And so today, what I want to do as we close, I just want to press in on those three areas of Paul's prayer for that church. And let's think about those three areas for you, for me. Today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to go through a series of questions. Number one, on behalf of the love that Paul's praying for. Ready? The question is this. Who do you need to love right now? Who's someone that is really hard? And as you follow Jesus, how do you do it well? Can you ask God for clarity on when to show up? When to speak up? When to shut up? Or when just to shed tears? Just pause and listen to what he's telling you. And now on behalf of discernment, in light of whatever's going on, discernment addresses the issue as a follower of Jesus. What's the best use of your time and resources right now? Like, is there something that you need to stop doing? Is there something you need to start doing? He prayed for smart love. He prayed for discernment. And now he prays for the right fruit. I want to ask you a question. What type of fruit are you growing right now? It's tied to the soil. And the soil is the current condition of your heart. How's your heart? And so this is my prayer. That your love will flourish. And that you will not only love much, but you will love well. You will learn to love appropriately. That you would use your head and test your feelings. So that your love is sincere and intelligent. Not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life circumspect and exemplary. A life that Jesus will be proud of. Bountiful in his fruit from the soul. Making Jesus attractive to all and getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. I pray this today in Jesus' name.